Hello, hello! Welcome back to Half Related. If you're new to the show, we're so happy to have you with us. My name is Kendra, and I take care of all your spine-tingling, paranormal, and other half-related stories. And my name is Whitney, and I share all of your gut-wrenching true crime stories. So before we jump into the show, there's a few little disclaimers that we're going to have to throw out to you guys. Unfortunately, Whitney has a jealous neighbor who decided to be a mega-freaking-jerkwad and blast her music next door right as we started recording. Since it's not after 10pm and we have to follow laws, there's not really anything we can do about that. So Whitney has moved to an area where the music isn't as intense, but it's still noticeable at times. So you guys are just going to have to bear with us and know that we are so, so sorry for the inconvenience. Also, just to note, we do have plans in place to prevent these things from happening in our future episodes. Now, are you ready for a kidnapping? I'm so ready. (laughs) (laughs) So this is the kidnapping of J.C. Dugard. Remember when we were little and we were fascinated by the kidnapping of Erica Baker? Yes, I remember. How could I forget that? (laughs) Yeah, we were obsessed. I think that's why kidnappings freak me out and fascinate me. So, anyway, let's get into it. But, before I get into it, what I am about to talk about is very triggering. We're going to talk about rape. I don't really go into too much detail. I chose just, like, the bare minimum details. So, there's your warning. If you don't want to hear about that or you're triggered by it, then I suggest you don't listen to this story. Just fast forward over to to my stuff. Or leave. Bye. But probably listen to my (laughs) stuff. Okay, so now that we lost half of our listeners. In September of 1990, J.C. Dugard and her family moved from the Los Angeles County of Arcadia to Myers, which was a rural town south of South Lake Tahoe, California. The reason why they made this move was because the neighborhood that they were living in wasn't very safe. There was like a few break-ins and stuff like that. So they were told, like, the area that they were moving to was a lot safer. So J.C. was in the fifth grade, and because of her shyness, she was really worried about an upcoming field trip. They were all going to a water park. Now, I was also very shy as a child, so I understand what it's like to worry about stuff like that. She was new to the area. She didn't have very many friends yet, so she wanted to, like, really make a good impression at this field trip. So 11-year-old J.C., was wearing her favorite all-pink outfit, that was her favorite color, when she was headed to school. She would always walk to the bus stop, which was a little bit up the hill from her house. Her stepdad was in the garage at the time, so she gets halfway up the hill when a gray car approaches her. Oh, that's never good. No. So she thought the man driving the car would ask her for directions, But instead, he rolled down his window, shocked her unconscious with a freaking stun gun. What? Okay, whoa. She falls to the ground. She's able to get back up just a little bit, and she kind of tries to go towards the bushes. But he gets out and shocks her again, drags her into the car, and his wife was in the car. The man's wife held her down as she drifted in and out of consciousness. Then they drove three hours to the kidnapper's home in Anatoch, which was 120 miles away. Now, remember, her stepdad was in the garage. Yeah, so he had to have seen the car, right? First, he heard a scream. That sounded like JC. So he he looks, and he, he can visibly see the car uh, and the man grabbing JC and bringing her into the car. Now, he's panicked. He's out in the garage. His car's in, in the garage with him, but he didn't have his keys. So he immediately jumps on his mountain bike and starts pedaling 
pedaling, 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 trying to catch up to this car. But of course, as soon as it gets over the hill, he loses sight of it. So he decides like, I'm never going to catch up to this car. So he drops his bike and goes to the nearest neighbor and tells them to call 911. Probably a, a smart choice. Yeah. So who the hell are these people? Their names were Philip Greg Garrido and Nancy Garrido. Now, we're going to get into a little bit of the background on these scumbags because Philip definitely has a very relevant background to this story. Does that make sense? Makes sense. All right, so Philip Greg Garrido. I just want to... What? Are you saying Gregorito? Garrido. Philip Greg Garrido. This whole time I thought you'd been saying Gregorito. Gregorito. No. (laughs) (laughs) No. Philip Gregorito. (laughs) Gregorito. Dorito Burrito. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) So Philip Greg Garrido was born in Pittsburgh, California on April 5th, 1951. He married a high school girlfriend named Christine Murphy who said that he was abusive. Christine alleged that Philip kidnapped her when she tried to leave him. In 1972, Philip was arrested and charged with sexual assaulting a 14-year-old girl. But the case never went to trial because the girl declined to testify because he fucking threatened her. So in 1976... Philip kidnapped a 25-year-old, Catherine Calloway. He took her to a Reno, Nevada warehouse, where he then raped her for four and a half hours. Oh my god. Yeah. And the only reason why he got caught was because an officer noticed a car outside of the abandoned warehouse and decided to check it out. And he tried to play it off and say, oh, this is just my girlfriend. We're just having fun. And then the officer asked her, and she was like, uh, no, I'm here against my will. He's raping me. Oh, that poor girl. And, like, the sick thing was he had it all, like, planned out. He had rugs, like, layers of rugs. You know what I'm saying? Like, for soundproof so nobody could hear her screaming. Wow. So then he was court-ordered to do a psychiatric evaluation where he was diagnosed as a sexual deviant and chronic drug user. So, in court, Philip testified that he often masturbated in his car by the side of elementary schools (gasps) and high schools while watching girls. Ew! He just admitted to that randomly as he was in court for raping the 25-year-old. What the fuck is wrong with this guy? A lot. (laughs) So, he was convicted on March 9th, 1977 and began serving a 50-year federal sentence on June 30th, 1977 in Leavenworth Penitentiary in Kansas, and there's the goddamn music, Kendra. That fucking bitch. I'm gonna continue, though. Oh, there's a break. It was at Leavenworth that Philip met Nancy, who was visiting another inmate at the time, her uncle, and on October 5th, 1981, the two lovebirds were married. That's how she became a a Mrs. Garrido Dorito Burrito. Yeah, Mrs. Greg Garrido. So in 1988, Philip was released from Leavenworth to Nevada State Prison, where he served seven months of a five-year-to-life Nevada sentence. 
And then he was paroled. So now that we know a little bit more about Philip and Nancy, let's get back to J.C. Within hours of J.C.'s disappearance, local and national media converged on South Lake Tahoe to cover the story. Within days, dozens of local volunteers joined in the search. Within weeks, tens of thousands of flyers and posters were mailed to businesses throughout the U.S. And since her favorite color was pink, they started putting pink ribbons all around the town. Uh, J.C.'s mother founded a group called J.C.'s Hope, which directed the volunteer and fundraising efforts. A reward was offered, and the kidnapping case was featured on America's Most Wanted. So, as J.C.'s family is left to worry and search, J.C. is three hours away in Philip and Nancy's home. Wow. So, I'm going to give another another little warning. We are about to talk about rape of an 11-year-old. Without the details. We can know that it happened. We don't want to know exactly what he was doing. Okay. So immediately after being kidnapped, Philip forces JC into the shower with him. Uh, this was JC's first time ever being exposed to a naked man. There was no rape that day. So there were days of this then? You'll see. Hold your horses. So after the shower, he did not let JC get dressed. He put a blanket over her head and took her outside to the backyard. In the backyard, Philip built a tiny soundproof shed. <gasps> there, inside the shed, was a pile of blankets that she was to sleep on. She had a bucket to use for the bathroom. So, Philip, he, he had a big backyard, so he decided that he was going to put, like, some shrubbery down the middle of his backyard so it made his backyard look like it was smaller than what it really was so behind the shrubbery were was two little buildings that he had built but you can't see them from the house so nobody really knew that those two little buildings were back there so keep that in mind because that's important a week after being kidnapped philip raped jc for the first time this is just a little detail that just really fucks with me he put furry handcuffs on her furry handcuffs on an 11 year old Oh my god. Philip would bring her fast food and a drink every day, and then he also brought her a fan because it was really hot in the little tiny shed thing that he had her in. This was the first of many sexual assaults throughout JC's captivity. Throughout her captivity? Just just hang on, Kendra. So after being held in the tiny room for seven weeks Seven weeks He allowed to have JC a black and white TV. Uh, she did her best not to make Philip mad during this time because his violent assaults would be worse. This is fucking sad. Yeah, he kind of plays mind games with her. Like, he'll be mean to her, then he'll be really nice, then he'll be, like, really sympathetic. Sometimes he'll, like, talk mean to her, and then next thing she knows, he's crying about it, saying, Oh, forgive me. He's crazy. She kept herself sane by listening to the adults talk on the TV, trying to keep some kind of normalcy. Uh, she kept up hope by remembering her mother. So, two months into captivity, Philip finally allowed JC to put clothes on. Philip never gave her anything without, like, expecting something. So, Philip told her all about his soundproof studio he built next door. He then told her that she would be joining him there. This would be JC's first time leaving the tiny room in two months. Philip puts a blanket over her head and told her to be quiet. He led her a short distance to another outside building, still in the backyard, just like 
beside it. So he opened up a metal door, and then he opened up a wood inner door. Kind of like for soundproofing. Oh no. The room had grungy furniture, a TV, a desk, a mini fridge, and three windows with bars on them. It was bigger than the room that she was used to, but JC was terrified of what was going to happen to her in here. Philip then told JC that he was about to take a run. He explained to JC that from time to time he liked to go on runs, which meant he would be doing drugs, which was crank, and staying up for days. He told JC that while he was staying up, she would accompany him and she would fulfill all of his sexual fantasies while he was on his run. Ew. It's disgusting. He then went on to explain that he had sexual problems and that by JC being there, she was helping him. And he told her that as long as she stayed with him, he wouldn't hurt any other girls. And so she was doing other girls a favor. Wow. And he's doing this to an 11-year-old. Yeah, it's very sick. So then the run began, and we are not going into those details. In early 1992, after seven months of being held in captivity, Philip introduced J.C. to his wife, Nancy. J.C. was confused, but remembered Nancy's part in her kidnapping. So J.C. didn't understand how Nancy could just be okay with what Philip was doing. Like, how could she allow it? But Philip wanted J.C. and Nancy to be friends because Nancy was jealous of her. Because she took up a lot of Philip's time. Okay, lady. Okay. Yep. So the three then began doing things together, like eating fast food, watching movies in the backyard. By 1994... J.C. had been missing for almost three years. Uh, Philip told J.C. that he had some serious news to tell her. Are you ready for this? He thought that she might be pregnant. Oh my god, this fucking guy. I want to kill him. And he probably noticed, like, huh, she's kind of getting a belly on her. I think she might be pregnant. So J.C. was only 13 at this point, and she knew nothing about babies. J.C. was forbidden from saying or writing her real name. She was told to choose a new name, and she chose Alyssa. So after becoming pregnant, Philip decided that he would be the one to deliver the baby. No. Yeah. He rented childbirth videos and watched them. J.C. That's not going to teach you how to deliver a fucking <laughs> baby. Oh, he thought it, it was going to help. So J.C. watched whatever she could on the TV about babies, like watching shows, like watching mothers on TV take care of babies. That breaks my heart. I know, it's sad. So in August of 1994, J.C. was locked up alone when she started having stomach pains. Being accustomed to pain from sexual abuse, she just shrugged it off. Like, she just thought, oh, like, I always hurt. Because of, you know, the, the sexual abuse. She just didn't think it was anything different. So by the time Philip and Nancy came to see J.C. that night, it was obvious that J.C. was in labor. Nancy gave J.C. codeine, and then they prepared her for birth. After hours of labor, it was a baby girl. No, I don't want it to be a girl. <laughs> She was healthy. Uh, the baby made J.C. not feel alone. J.C. did everything she could to take care of the baby. She was a good mom. And it's also important to note that during her pregnancy and for a few months after, Philip did not sexually assault her. But that didn't last, and the abuse started again. So, and then by 1997, 
When JC was 17 years old, she was pregnant again. No, 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 no. Yep. This is six years she's been here. So wait, so the baby, did the baby stay with her or did it go with them? The baby stayed with her. Okay, good. She took care of the baby. So at this time, Philip built the fence around his backyard higher and then allowed JC to go out into the backyard. First time she's been outside in six years. So then Philip decided that he was going to start a printing business to support the new coming baby. He would oftentimes let JC design the cards for something to do while she was waiting for the arrival of the second baby. Most of the work JC actually did, and he just made money off of it. In November 1997, JC's second daughter was born. So two girls, two girls now. After this, Philip stopped sexually assaulting JC, but his violent fits and outrage continued. Did they at least take these kids away when the abuse started? I'm not sure. I didn't find anything on that because I was wondering the same thing. Philip then became obsessed with a unique brand of religion. He claimed that he could talk to angels and could hear voices. So every time that he was mean or violent to JC, he would claim that the angels told him to do it. So this guy's losing his motherfucking mind. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it was lost from the beginning, but... Oh, yeah. And then this right here is really important to mention. Philip never sexually assaulted JC's children. Thank God. Thank you. Yes. They did, however, they were subjected to Philip's erratic behavior. Like they saw him being a fucking nut job. Great. So, in 1999, Philip decided that JC's two daughters would have to start calling Nancy mom. No. He also made JC call Nancy mom. So the girls grew up thinking that J.C. was their older sister. And this was because they didn't want people questioning it because J.C., she looked young. So the three of them were allowed to roam around the yard. And when asked, Philip said they were his kids from a previous marriage. And this is when Philip decided that J.C. looked nothing like the little girl he kidnapped and no one would be able to recognize her. So he decided that... They could go for outings now. So he decides that they can all go out to an event. Him, Nancy, and the girls, and JC, they took them to a corn fest with food, games, and rides. JC wanted so badly to tell somebody who she was, but out of fear, she did not. There were many outings after this, and each time, JC and the girls were led back to their backyard prison. Oh my god. Eventually, Philip let JC use the computer to homeschool the girls. He told her that he had software on it that would tell him everything she did because he didn't want her to, like, email somebody and reach out for help. So by 2006, 26-year-old JC had been held captive for 15 years. This is literally the saddest story. Oh, yeah. The girls were 12 and 9 at this point. New neighbors moved in beside Philip and Nancy, and the woman who moved in thought she saw some children living in tents in the backyard, so she called the authorities. The deputy knocked on the door and asked Philip about the children. Philip denied it, and unaware of Philip's history of being a sex offender, the deputy didn't search around and never found the girls. Oh my god, why? That's so frustrating. (laughs) Yeah. So at this point, Philip's company was thriving, but his delusions were escalating. So even his customers talked about how his behavior was becoming more erratic. And Philip began hearing unearthly voices and even started showing people a device that he built to talk to God and angels. What? (laughs) 
It just <gasps> he just goes so downhill from here. He became so obsessed with the idea of talking to God that he started a blog. Oh my god. <laughs> and he would blog. He would blog every day. He then created an organization, like it was a religious group called God's Desire, and he began preaching publicly. In July of 2008, a task force visited Philip's house because they were doing a sweep on sex offenders in the area. You would think... They would definitely stop at Phillips. Yeah, they do, but here's what happened. Um. So the task, task force officers did the sweep of the house in only part of the backyard. They were fooled by the shrubbery that went down the middle of the yard, thinking that it was the end of the property, not knowing that J.C. and the girls oh, were no. in the yard behind the false shrubbery. Isn't that so messed up? All the, all the times that they could have been saved. <sighs> I was really hoping that you weren't going to let me down. but Yeah, I mean, there it happens so much. So another year passed. Philip got crazier, saying he could cure sex offenders like himself with his God-talking device. What? August 24th, 2009, Philip decided it was time to share his book with the government. He wanted them to understand that violent offenders could be helped. So... What does he do, Kendra? He started with the FBI. Wow. So he literally just fucked himself over. So he decided that, you know, it looks better if he's a family man. So Philip brought the girls along with him on his errands. First, they dropped off his book with the FBI, which is... Like, how do you just do that? How do you just drop something off with the FBI? I don't know. I didn't know you could. I didn't know either, but he did. And then they headed to UC Berkeley, where he attempted to get a permit for a book event. So he spoke to the University Police Department's special event manager, Lisa Campbell. She could immediately tell that something was wrong. So Philip rambled on about his book and how it would change the world, and Campbell asked Philip to make an appointment for the following day. Now, the reason why she did this is because she wanted a second opinion. She called the university police officers as soon as he left, and then they did a background check and saw that Philip was a second sex offender and on parole for kidnap and rape. So Philip returned the next day with the girls. Uh, he ranted on about his book again, mentioning the girls were his daughters and the, all the officers agreed that something was not right. Once Philip left, they located Philip's parole officer about their concern. The parole officer then informed them that Philip had no known children and he promised that he would investigate. So that afternoon, uh, an emergency home visit was done where they only found Philip, Nancy, and Philip's mother. Philip lied and said that the girls were with, were his nieces and had already left. So Philip was told to report to the parole office the next morning for questioning. Um, and this is the part where we will never know if it was arrogance or just pure stupidity on his part. But Philip then decided it was time to prove to his parole officers that everything is okay. So he went and woke up JC and the girls, along with Nancy, packed them up in his van, and took them to the parole office with him. He instructed JC before they got there to tell authorities that her name was Alyssa and that she was the girl's mother. Uh, she was told to say she knew about Philip's past, but she thought that he was a changed man. 
and if at any point she didn't know what to say she was told to ask for a lawyer authorities were definitely shocked when the group walked in they separated philip from the women and began to question them j c stuck to the story that she was told uh she was so used to following philip's direction so that's what she did because i mean she was scared and she was also scared that if they knew the truth they would take her girls away yeah naturally so they asked her for an id or a family member's number to validate like who she is and she said she didn't have either because she was hiding from an abusive husband now when it came to philip uh it didn't take much he almost immediately admitted to kidnapping and raping jc but he refused to reveal her identity once they knew the real story they decided that they were going to send a female officer in to talk to jc she took a different approach and told jc that she would get to see her girls again uh she just really needed to know her name and jc explained she hadn't said her real name in 18 years and she couldn't say it now but she would write it down jc was finally after 18 years of captivity free philip wow that's insane philip garrido pled guilty to one count of kidnapping and 13 counts of sexual assault so he was sentenced to 431 years to life in prison thank god and nancy his wife received a 36-year sentence for her role in the kidnapping and captivity i feel like she should get more than that she helped she fucking helped yeah um but J.C. and her girls are doing fine. J.C.'s written two books about her kidnapping, and she has dis- she has dedicated her life to helping people who have suffered trauma. And she's back with her mother. She's living life. That's that, Kendra. That's the scoop. Well, at least it has a happy ending. That made me feel It better. did have a happy ending, and guess what? Nobody got murdered. So that's my true crime story. We're going to take a quick break, and then Kendra will be back with her story. guys we're back from our little break are you ready for a haunting this evening i am going to present to you the story of the possessed doll named robert yay i love possessed dolls i actually don't i like stories about it but they freak me out and especially since you know chucky was like a crazy like thing that scared me when i was little. oh yes i remember i remember chucky scared you so bad i <laughs> i used to sleep in the middle of my bed and make sure that i couldn't there was nothing like on the side of the bed on all edges yeah. i had to stay perfectly in the <laughs> middle and i would have my arms and legs so straight yes I remember you sleeping perfect. You would wake up in the morning and your bed would not be disturbed. I used to stuff a blanket between the crack of the wall and, like, where my pillows were. <laughs> I didn't want no knives coming up through there. Uh-uh. Yeah. Oh, speaking of Chucky, I don't even know why I didn't say this, but this possessed doll is the doll that Chucky is based off of. Just oh, a little geez. fun fact for That's you. That's creepy. So, let's get into it shall we we shall so i became interested in this story right away because first of all who doesn't love a good creepy doll story am i right of course i'm right you're right and two 
there's actual evidence that this thing is really possessed. Ooh, I love me some evidence. I don't know about you guys, but I like my little ghosty stories to be real. And Robert appears to be pretty freaking real. (laughs) So, I'm ready. Oh, yes. So, our story begins back in the mid-1900s in a beautiful Key West, Florida mansion owned by the Otto family. Otto family? Yes, the Otto family. Okay. So, of course, if you're rich enough to live in a mansion, then you're going to hire servants and maids. And either you're going to be good to these servants or you're going to be shitty to them, right? Oh, no. Sadly enough, it was a pretty well-known thing that Mr. and Mrs. Otto were really cruel and abusive to their servants, especially one in particular, which was a maid from a Caribbean descent. That's important for one reason, and you'll find out in a minute. Okay. So one evening, Miss Otto walked in on this maid, performing what she describes as a voodoo ceremony. So, this kind of makes sense because there's a lot of, like, religious voodoo practice in Caribbean culture. But anyway, the maid was immediately fired, and as the maid is leaving the premises, she hands the Otto's son, Eugene, a doll with human hair. Ew. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on. I have questions. Okay. Like, glued on hair? (laughs) Did she glue it on? Did she sew it on? I don't know the details of that. Okay. Well, whose hair was it? Well, just listen. Okay. So the hair is said to have come from Eugene's head, as if the maid had been plucking and saving his hair specifically for the doll. That is fucking weird. <laughs> I know. Like when you like when he's sleeping, she just goes steal a couple hairs. <laughs> That's Probably. weird. You guys, if I caught a maid doing some sort of like voodoo ceremony in my house or whatever mm-hmm. and then she tried to give my kid a doll afterwards i'd be like nope nah you're keeping that shit get lost Bye bye it's a voodoo doll i would think it was a voodoo doll yeah exactly voodoo. i mean especially i mean human hair human yeah, hair it's just gross and especially if it looked like it came from my child like no no <laughs> take it back so, I guess Miss Otto somehow missed out on the red flags there. Or maybe it's, like, possible she was unaware that the maid gave Eugene a voodoo doll before yeah. she left or something. And then she found out later. But either way, the kid got the doll, <laughs> and it was not good. Uh, Jean, also known as Eugene, but we're just going to call him Jean. So. Okay. Jean named the Jean doll. Jean <laughs> I had to get you back for the burrito, burrito, burrito. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Gene named the doll after himself, giving him his middle name, Robert. So Mm. at first, Gene and Robert were inseparable. He dressed Robert in a pair of his old clothes and like literally took him everywhere. Damn, how big was this doll? I don't even know. I'll post pictures on our Instagram later. Okay. He would take the doll through the town. During family shopping trips, he saved him a seat at the dinner table. He slept next to him every night. And honestly, it seemed like a pretty normal child-doll-best-friend relationship. But it no, wasn't... No, that's not normal. Well, yeah, I guess it's not. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's normal. <laughs> well, I mean, like, every kid has, like, their favorite toy. And they love this yeah. toy and it goes everywhere. Yeah, you're right. That's, like, what Robert was to G. Mm-hmm. So, things start to get dark. Shit is about 
to get real, okay? It's about to hit the fan. Yes. Mm-hmm. So while Gene was alone in his room playing with Robert, his parents could hear him talking to the doll. And then they also heard a much lower adult-sounding voice responding to Gene. Ew, I don't like it. Take it back. Things escalate a little bit more. Uh-oh. Gene starts acting different toward the doll. He doesn't want to play with it as often. He's acting as if he were scared of it. He oh, doesn't no. want to be around it as often. So I sure the fuck would be scared if I had a doll that could hold a conversation with me, wouldn't you? Um, definitely. So now that Gene isn't taking Robert on outings as much, people are starting to notice some strange things going on in the home. So on a few separate occasions, different neighbors had voiced their concerns to the autos. They were stating that when they were not home, they could see the doll moving by itself through the windows. Fuck that. It was even looking out at them. No, 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 no. I would be moving out, and that doll would not be coming with me. Because if that's not creepy enough, there's more. Oh, great. Poor little Eugene is playing in his room peacefully one day when suddenly you can hear a banging and a thumping coming from the room as Gene is screaming and crying for help. As soon as Mrs. Otto is able to pry open the bedroom door because she's having trouble getting the shit open, Mm -hmm. she sees the furniture thrown about the room in a complete disaster and Gene is sitting in the corner crying as Robert the doll sits at the foot of the bed staring in Gene's direction with a smirk on his face. So this doll is now throwing furniture, and it's changing its facial expression and basically tormenting this poor little boy. Well, I think somebody needs to throw the doll. When Miss Otto asks Gene why he destroyed the room, he insists that Robert did it. I've heard of kids acting out and blaming their behavior on toys and imaginary friends. But in this case, it is so ridiculously obvious that the doll is causing the chaos here. I mean, Mm -hmm. come on, it has human hair. You've heard its voice. Your neighbors have seen it moving and looking out of your windows when no one's home. Come on, don't blame your kid. Does he get blamed? Oh yeah, he got blamed. Of course. They did not believe him. They didn't believe the spooks. So now the autos are finding Gene crying in the corner, screaming with a destroyed room, with Robert staring at him pretty frequently. It just becomes a thing. Oh, so this is a reoccurring thing? Yes. Yeah. Oh god. But along with it, Gene also begins to find his toys broken and having their legs, arms, and heads ripped off. Ew. So he knows that Robert is doing this. And Gene has now started having horrible nightmares involving Robert. So imagine being a little boy, getting this doll, and he's like your new best friend in the whole freaking world. And then all of a sudden, one day, he just snaps and starts destroying all your shit and scaring you all the time. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's not funny. It is, but it's not. (laughs) I'd be having some pretty bad nightmares, though. Wouldn't you? Oh, heck yes. Oh, heck yes. And how would you even sleep with that thing in your room? This poor kid was probably terrified. Hey, you know what? In all fairness, we used to turn our baby dolls around so that they couldn't look at us at night. So for locking them in the closet. I get it. Uh, yep. Yep. <laughs> I get it. So, now the autos are starting to have a little backlash from their servants in the home. They're scared, and they don't want to be around this thing. So they start quitting. Word is getting around pretty quick, and nobody wants to work for them. So they're having trouble hiring new servants. Mm -hmm. Finally, they decide, well, I guess it's time to do something about this voodoo doll situation. So they take the doll. It it has been time for a long time. Oh, yeah. I mean, (laughs) it would have been enough for me to do something when I heard it talking. 
Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. No, 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 no. As soon as you saw that human hair. Yeah. No, you should have noped the fuck out of there. So they take the doll and they lock him up in a box and hide him in the attic for several years. Oh, that's going to piss him off. I would so love to tell you all that this is where things get better for Gene, but it doesn't. So let's fast forward a few years later. Gene is an adult and he's working as an artist when his dad passes away. He inherits the family home, which is the mansion he grew up in. So he decides to move into the mansion as it has great lighting and has the perfect place for him to work on his artwork. So Gene and his wife Anne move into the home. Is Robert still in the attic? Yes. Yes, he is. And we are going to get to that very soon. Shortly after moving in, Gene remembers his good old friend Robert. Oh, great. And what does he do? He decides that Robert deserves to have his very own room. I don't know what on God's green earth made Gene decide this was a good idea, but we all know that this is going to turn out bad. Oh, yeah. You know what I imagine? What do you imagine? I imagine that Robert's going to just fuck this room up like he did to Eugene's room. Well, let me tell you what happens. Mm -hmm. Gene searches the attic, and he finds the sealed up box and he breaks into it releasing robert release the demon so now gene's wife Anne, is so creeped out by this doll just from the looks of it if only she knew the history of this thing and then she'd really feel any so they set up this third floor bedroom for robert they set him in a rocking chair looking out the window Gene is so happy about this. He's telling Anne how he's so sure that Robert loves the room and he loves the view. And Anne's just really weirded out by the whole thing. And she's trying to be supportive of Gene's childhood buddy, but she just can't stand it anymore. The doll is creeping her out, gets the best of her, rightfully so. And so she urges Gene to lock Robert. 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 Fucking Robert. She urges Jean to lock the doll back up. That is, that's probably a good idea. Jean agrees to finally lock Robert back up in the attic after some visitors complained of hearing devilish giggling and footsteps pacing back and forth coming from Robert's bedroom. No, thank you. So the next day, Robert is found back in the rocking chair, staring out the window. Oh, that motherfucker knew how to get out of the attic? Yes. And this becomes a vicious cycle. They lock him up. He escapes to the rocking chair over and over and over again. Oh my god. Neighborhood children complained to their parents that they could see Robert watching them from the window and sometimes tapping on the glass or climbing into or off of the rocking chair. This went on for years as Gene lived out his life in his childhood home. Gene Otto passes away in 1974 and this is... Not the end of Robert's creepy behavior. It keeps going. A new family moves into the Otto's home. Almost immediately, their 10-year-old daughter is drawn to the attic, where she finds Robert locked away in a box. She behaves identically to the way Jean did. Robert's her best friend now, only to later torment the little girl the same exact way that he did Jean. So, Robert was given away, probably passed between some more families, and then he lands himself in a more permanent home in the Fort East Martello Museum. And the Otto's home becomes a bed and breakfast. Oh, no, 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 no. 
At the museum, Robert sits locked inside of a glass case in the middle of the room, and the staff who work at the museum have reported him escaping the case and even breaking out the other haunted items that live in the museum. Why are there more haunted items? Oh, because it's a museum, though, Whitney. Robert has changed facial expressions and positions while locked in the case and has even tapped on the glass. Some of the staff have quit over this, and others don't seem to mind it. Some museum visitors reported that they began to have bad things happen to them, such as house fires and car accidents, and some even suffered heart attacks or other life-threatening occurrences. They visit the museum, and then it's just one near-death experience after another. These misfortunate people all had two things in common. They heard a sinister giggling sound in their homes, and they all took photos of Robert while they were visiting the museum. Ooh, Robert doesn't like that. No, he doesn't. So shortly after these reports were made, the museum had to come up with some special rules when people go to meet Robert. You now have to ask his permission to take his photo if you want a picture of him. Oh no, I'm talking to him. If you don't have his permission, you'll be sure to know. There are apology letters on display at the museum from people who did not ask Robert's permission, and they're all pretty similar. They all talk about their near-death experience, Robert's creepy giggles, and begging for Robert's forgiveness. Oh my god. You guys, if you ever find yourself visiting Robert someday, you should either avoid taking his picture altogether, which is what I would do, or for God's sake, ask his permission. Or just don't go near him. All right, everyone. That's all for our episode tonight. Thank you so much for listening. Stay spooky and watch out for more episodes every Sunday at 5 p.m. EST. If you're in need of more half-related content, you can find all of our important links such as Instagram, Discord, Patreon, and more by visiting us at linktr.ee slash half-related. We would love to hear from you, so be sure to hit us up on Twitter at onlyhalfrelated or slide us an email at halfrelatedpodcast at gmail.com. 